Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast that that you would do if you had nothing better to do. That's right. And probably that you listen to because you have nothing better better to listen to. There is nothing better. Well, that's true. I was going to say there's a lot of podcasts out there, but... Yeah, um, but you know what? You only have so much... Yeah, right. You, and you can't listen to them like three times in a row. You got to find something else once that's you. That's right. You need you need to mix it up. I and um, what number is this? Thirty thirty five. Thirty five. So we're more than halfway through a year. Oh my gosh. Yes. Just to think, this time last year though, we had no idea we'd be doing. Although I was telling you that we should. I know, and I kept saying we shouldn't. Yeah. But it was this time last year that I left my job, which was one reason I didn't think we could do it. Yes. And, yeah, we probably couldn't have. It would no. have been hard. It would have been. It does take a lot, lot of time. Of, not just the time, but just... Coordinating. The, the, yeah. Well, and also just... It has given me a lot of... Do we oh, have yeah. updates this week? I don't think we do. Not anything that we can... I think the Sanborn trial, there's... So I'm not actually sure if I make this mistake on this podcast or if it's our other one. I can't remember. All right. But I'm going to say it both. When I say readers, what I oh, mean yeah, is... Oh, yeah, you said nerd. that. I think that was on group... Uh, I can't remember. because I just, too. You but said I, readers, yeah. I'm, I usually correct you, but I think the listeners understood what you meant. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean listeners. Okay. I'm just so used that's to... That's the only thing... That's what you had to correct? Like... It's not really a correction. I just okay. wanted to say it. Because right. I... You know, it's just... It could be confusing for literalists out there. Yeah, you look, maybe. No, I just feel like people know that what you meant. Okay, but, well then, uh, here's another thing. All right. On our other... What did I do? What, nothing. you can bring something I did up? No, okay. it's not a correction. It's a thought. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> when I promoted last week's about Son of Sam... Yes. But on our Groovy Tube, which is our other podcast Facebook page, I mentioned it's not about Sam the Butcher, it's about Son of Sam. But then I was thinking, wouldn't Sam the Butcher be a great name for a serial killer? Yeah, it actually would, wouldn't yeah. it? Sam yeah. the Butcher. So I just thought Why of that. hasn't anybody come up with I that? I don't know. One? Don't we shouldn't be giving anyone any ideas though. No, like, we shouldn't. Like a guy so named Sam thinking, that. Ooh, that's how I can become famous. Yeah. So you will disregard that I said that, listeners. Mm, okay. Yeah. Don't be a serial killer just to be famous. Just right. have a podcast. Yeah. I mean, you really aren't going to be use, famous, your, but you can your... pretend you are. Like, right. you can be like, oh, people are, I've got a podcast. Yeah, or two. Podcasts are the new blogs. They you are. Know, you're like, well, it's like I'm a, a blogger. I'm a lifestyle blogger. <laughs> That's my thing, lifestyle blogger. How do you even get that? It's so funny because I see that about people all the time, like random, so-and-so, the lifestyle like blogger. I'm like, do people read them? Like, like I mean, no offense to anyone that is, I'm probably offending people, but I mean, like... You make it sound like we have all these listeners who are lifestyle bloggers. No, hey, the, you don't know. Maybe they are, and maybe they uh, promoted us on their lifestyle blog. Yeah, maybe, if they did, we'd know. And but, then maybe now they're going to tell us people not to listen. What if, like, Gwyneth Paltrow... Right. I don't think she has the same sense of humor we do. Yeah, you never but know. what I was going to say, yeah, you read in People magazine like it'll describe someone as a lifestyle blogger. And it, and I'm like, can you make a living? That's always my thought. Can you make a living doing that? Like one time, it used to describe Rob Kardashian as a sock designer. I know. And then it was, he was a failed sock designer. <laughs> and I'm like, how? it's either how can you be anything but a failed sock designer? Or how can you fail at sock design? Well, I think you could design socks. You could design some good socks. But I don't know how. Uh, how do you make a living at that? 
I don't know. I, see, I, would, I can see being like a textile designer or something and that being used for socks. Maybe I don't know enough about socks. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you think about it, they're not easy to knit. I have no. I don't that. think Rob Kardashian is knitting. Fucking no, I socks. know that, but I'm saying if he's designing the structure of the sock, that's a little different. I would different. get. There's only so many structures you can go with. I would guess he's designing the designs. Well, like, I, I is get it. Is it going to be argyle or is well, it going to be the, vertical the, well, well, also this. Well, how it's knit. I mean, there's ribbed socks. There's. I'm not talking about <laughs> condoms. I know your mind went there no, as soon as actually, I said ribbed. I was, actually, you know where my mind went to? One of my least favorite movies, Forrest Gump. When he was describing all the different kinds of fish. He wasn't. Stri- it was shrimp. shrimp and it was Bubba that was doing that. Well, that's, I hate the movie and I don't, I don't remember like much the movie. But that's stupid. where my mind went. When you and I used to like Gary Sinise and, until I heard about his politics yeah, and that turned me off so I bad because I really liked him. I liked him in The Stand, the miniseries. Yeah. The Anyways, we really got we, off track. We need to get on our... No, but lifestyle blogger, I just want to say the way they would make money is if they're a well-known one is by advertising. And pushing products, yes. product placement and promoting... Well, we'll do that. You know, anyone has a product, they want to give we us would money. Happily pretend I'm a whore, I'll do it. We would happily pretend to use your product or even or really use, it. use it. If you give it to us for free, we don't have any money, so... But. But we do have a lot of listeners, so maybe we'll start having ads at some point. Yeah, we do. But we're going to lose them if I don't start the story properly, (laughs) right? So should I start the story? Yes. Okay, this may seem like kind of an old cold case, but once you listen, you'll see not only isn't it, but it's relevant. Don't apologize for yourself. I'm not (laughs) apologizing. I know know I'm so apologetic. No, actually, I'm just explaining. It's like a little intro. Oh, sorry. That's not, let me just qualify. That wasn't an apology. Okay. It was an explanation. All right. When Carol Jenkins went with three co-workers to Martinsville, Indiana, on September 16, 1968, to sell encyclopedias, it was her first day on the job. It wasn't a real job. She worked on an assembly line in a factory near her home in Rushville, Indiana. As a child, she'd wanted to move to Chicago and try to become a fashion model, but as she neared adulthood, her dream had become making enough money to go to college and get a teaching degree. Can I ask just some of the geography? Yes. Oh, well, you're going to get to that? I will. Okay, never mind then. And the geography I give will be, I kind of looked at a map. I'm semi-familiar with Indiana, but this probably won't mean... A lot to a lot of people, but yeah. I'm going to give it anyway. But yeah, I'm, and if I don't get to the geography you're interested in, just ask me. But I may not know if I didn't put I'll it I'll just in my break stuff. in and ask. Okay. Carol was the oldest of six children. Hmm. She'd been less than two when her mother, Elizabeth, newly divorced, had married Paul Davis in 1949, and she considered Paul Davis her father. Hmm. She had two younger brothers and three younger sisters, I guess half brothers and half sisters. For the sake of this, I don't think we need to make that distinction. Mm-hmm. Her stepfather, Paul Davis, said years later that she was kind, smart, polite, lovely, and deeply loved by her family. That day in September, the factory Carol worked at was on strike and she needed money, so she took the temporary encyclopedia sales job with Collier's, and it was her first day on the job. Mm-hmm. And it's not to go off and onto an immediate tangent, but I had just read a true crime book about... Now, I can't remember his name, a serial killer in Portland, Oregon, and his first victim was a woman who's, it was selling encyclopedias, and it was her first day on the job. So maybe it's a good thing that's not a thing to do for young women who are between jobs anymore. But in any case, Carol was 21, just a month away from her 22nd birthday, when her group arrived in Martinsville, which was 40 minutes 
southwest. I don't know if that's miles or not. That's how fast you drive. Yeah, of Indianapolis. It was a cool, foggy September day, and they arrived in Martinsville about 4.30 at night. Their original destination had been Vicennes, another 90 miles down the road, but they got a late start, so they picked Martinsville instead. Whether Jenkins, who is black, was nervous about going to Martinsville has been lost to time. Her co-workers were another black woman and two white men. Jenkins probably would have known about Martinsville. Her father and brother had a racially charged incident there a year before that I'll talk about later. And it was notorious, which I'll talk about later. But whether the group knew they were headed for trouble has never been documented. In fact, I can't find any source material that quotes or even names her co-workers. Still... As I said, Martinsville was notorious as not being welcome to blacks. It was a sundown town. A town that, if you were black, you better be out by sundown. Hmm. And I'll talk more about that later, too. And it sounds like a lot of sundown towns, blacks didn't even want to be there before sundown. Uh, Because they just were not welcoming places. I'd also like to say a lot of my information for the story came from a 2002 New Yorker article by Mark Singer. But I got some really good detail from an investigative discovery series, The Injustice Files by Keith Beecham, who did a really good documentary on sundown towns a couple Ah. years ago that's easily found on YouTube, and I'll also link it to our website, and I can't go into all the stuff he had in there. Oh, I'm going to have to watch that. It 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 might make me mad. It will make you mad. It it should make people mad. In any case, when the group arrived in Martinsville, a city of about 10,000 with no black residents, Hmm. they settled on a residential area east of the town center to sell their encyclopedias. They agreed to split up and meet at 10 p.m. at a gas station near the town square. And I didn't have time to look up encyclopedia selling, and my first thought when reading about this was, why would they split up, uh, especially with two young women in an unfriendly town, but you, the way you get paid for selling encyclopedias is to get commissions. Yeah. And everybody's supposed to be out there selling, so it makes no sense for two people to go together. No. Around 7.30 p.m., Carol knocked on the door of Don and Norma Neal, a couple of young newlyweds. But she wasn't knocking to sell the white couple encyclopedias. It was to ask for help. A car with at least two men in it had been following her, and they'd yelled things out of the window, harassing her, and she was scared. The Neals ushered her into the house, and Don went outside to see what was what. He didn't see the car she described, but he saw another one, idling in a nearby alley, its parking lights on. He Mm. made a mental note of the license number and went back into the house. And it's pretty clear it was two different cars from Mm -hmm. the descriptions. He could see two silhouettes in the car, but couldn't see who they were or what gender they were or anything. The Neals called the police, and an officer came and spent about ten minutes talking to Carol. Norma Neal, decades later, told Keith Beecham on the Injustice Files investigation discovery series, that the officer didn't seem that interested in Carol's concerns. He seemed more troubled that a black girl was in town, she said. Norma drove Carol around looking for her co-workers, but they couldn't find them. They were, were they stay, I'm sorry, you might have already said They were going to meet Did you 10. say that? I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. Yeah, at a gas station. That's right. Okay, yeah. sorry. Norma had convinced Carol to stay with the Neals until they could bring her to meet her co-workers, but Carol changed her mind and decided not to stay that she'd already been too much trouble. Oh. Norma Neal said that Carol was afraid she'd bothered them. And, quote, she was such a nice person, very polite. More than 40 years after that night, the Neals are still shaken by oh. the encounter. Can if you I, imagine? Oh, that? I know. I know. I well, feel it so gets, bad. You'll, okay. There's more. It definitely, yeah. 
If I could take it back, I never would have let her go, Norma told Beecham in 2012. Her words to an Indiana TV station in 2014 were even stronger. If you could go back and redo time, I would have dragged her back. But Carol did go. Her plan was to walk back to the gas station where she was to meet her co-workers a distance of about 12 blocks. And Norma Neal says on one of the TV interviews that she, she just felt it was too long for Carol to be walking by herself. By now, it was close to 8.30 p.m. It was dark and still rainy, and Carol never made it to her destination. Several people later reported seeing her walking down Morgan Street, a main drag in town, around 8.45. Minutes later, someone reported hearing a scream and seeing a car speed away. She was seen to stagger about 21 feet down the sidewalk, and then she collapsed. A teenage boy who lived across the street called police from a nearby restaurant. And I know that doesn't seem to make sense if you lived across the street, but this is another case where there aren't a ton of sources. Well, it could be that they didn't have a phone. It I mean, be. a lot of people it was didn't. 1968. Yeah. And it, this is another case, though, where there aren't a lot of sources, and you can see places where stuff is picked up and repeated, and there are some inaccuracies that have been just yep. reported. It's like that game of telephone. The more they get reported, the more inaccurate oh, yeah. they get. you got to try to go back to the source as much as you That's can. That's right. Carol was alive when she was found, but was dead by the time they got her to the Morgan County Hospital. She'd been stabbed in the heart through her wool coat and turtleneck with a screwdriver. Oh, God. The investigation of Carol Jenkins' murder got off to a bad start. Mm. No one recognized it as a crime scene at first, police later said, because there was so little blood and they didn't realize she'd been stabbed till they got her to the hospital. No one at the police department apparently put two and two together when her body was found and thought maybe that the mysterious death of an apparently healthy 21-year-old black woman, apparently one of the few in town, who less than two hours before had reported being followed and harassed, may be suspicious. The reports of the screams, beating car from witnesses who were at the scene when police arrived also didn't seem to raise immediate alarms. The 50 or so people who eventually gathered at the scene walked all over the crime scene, some picking up her belongings. Hmm. Martinville's police department didn't have an investigative division, so the Morgan County Sheriff and Indiana State Police did the investigating. This is from Mark Singer's 2002 New Yorker article. Don Custer, the first state police detective to work on the case, told me, and that's Mark Singer, Mm -hmm. that when he arrived, quote, there were about 50 people hanging around the crime scene. One of them came up and handed me a pair of glasses and said, I think these are her glasses. Someone else handed me her notebook. The notebook had been lying near the entrance to an auto repair shop more than half a block from where she fell. That it was raining steadily didn't help matters. The dark-colored automobile that had been trailing her before she sought refuge with the Neals was tracked down. Its teenage driver and a friend admitted having followed Carol, but denied having yelled at her. Before long, the police decided they weren't suspects. Because Don Neal hadn't accurately remembered the license number of the light-colored sedan, the lead never went anywhere. No murder weapon was ever found. Hmm. So that's pretty much what went on in the early days of the investigation. When her stepfather, Paul Davis, arrived at the Morgan County Hospital the next day, her body had already been autopsied. He was told she was stabbed in the heart with a screwdriver. Even though they never found the murder weapon, they knew it was a screwdriver. It's possible from the shape of the of the wound, maybe. I can see someone saying it was possibly a screwdriver or something like a screwdriver. Probably something thin and, yeah. But I they mean, seem pretty certain it was a screwdriver. That's weird, but... Years later, some people would say that they felt there was a cover-up, but it seems what really happened was no one was that interested in investigating the murder. Police said they didn't have many leads. 
Uh, well, you know, disposable lives like our other... I mean, that's right, disposable yeah. lives. And this is more from Mark Singer's 2002 New, York, New Yorker story. Out-of-town journalists who came to Martinsville discovered that information was remarkably hard to come by. The town became a clam, an Indianapolis newspaper reporter told me. I got the impression real quickly that if anything was going to happen, it would have to be an anonymous tip. After a while, the thing just petered out. And it did get, apparently, when you look at some of the information, it did get attention early on. There were headlines. She was described as a Negro girl or a Negro in many of the stories, but it did peter out. Well, the the thing is, it probably got some attention because of of the time, you know, it was what, 67, so late 68. 60, okay, yeah. yeah. So civil rights yes. was in the news and yeah, whatever. Yeah. Okay. You wonder if it had been 40 years before, you know. What? Or if it had been now. But yes. we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Yes. At the time of Singer's 2002 article, it had been a cold case since about the time Carol had been killed. Around that time, though, a few things happened. And this, again, was his article was in January of 2002. Most of the articles you'll read about this, including Singer's, and there's not a whole lot on, available out there. I have a subscription to The New Yorker, so I was able to read that in their archives. Most of the articles you read, including his, make it sound like the Indiana State Police independently decided to look into the cool case. Hmm. That's simply not true. Some of the things that were happening around that time were, in 1998, Philip Scott, who was a later son of Elizabeth, Carol's mother, Carol and Paul had divorced in 1967. She remarried. Philip was a son from that marriage. Okay. He was introduced to people who told him that they knew how Carol was killed, knew who did it, and that everyone in Martinsville knew. He wasn't given much information, but he was told that the murder weapon, a screwdriver, was thrown into a gas tank at the now-defunct auto repair place that was near where she was killed. And I think it must be one of those things where, you know, you can remove the grate where they the tankers load the gas in. Mm-hmm. He told Carol's youngest sister, Laura Davis, but it seems like there was a lag between when he was told and when he told Laura of some time, possibly a year or so. Quote, he was amazed at how much these people knew, Laura Davis told reporter Mark Singer from The New Yorker. But apparently they still didn't tell him. They told him they knew stuff. They just didn't tell him the details. Why would you, uh, but uh, Laura's brother, Robert, who's also Carol's brother, called the FBI. It's not clear what, if anything, the FBI did. Two years later, in 2000, the family got a phone call from a woman who said her father had stabbed Carol, that she'd been six and she was in the backseat of the car when it happened. There had also been another man in the car. She wouldn't tell them more because she feared for her life. Hmm. Paul Davis, the stepfather, who felt police had long withheld information from the family, hired a private investigator. I think he also told that information. And this was in 1998, right? This was in 2000. Around the same time, an Indianapolis TV station was doing features on cold cases, led by reporter Sandra Chapman. One day she got a phone call from a woman who said, quote, if the girl was wearing a yellow paisley scarf and was killed with a screwdriver, my father did it. That's what prompted the Indiana State Police to open the cold case. Wow. It turned out that man was Kenneth C. Richmond. His daughter, Shirley McQueen, who was actually seven, not six at the time of the murder, was in the backseat of the car when her father, who she describes as racist and violent and drunk, stabbed Carol in the chest while yelling racial slurs. The other man, who Shirley didn't know, held Carol as her father oh. stabbed him. When they got back into the car, they said she got what she deserved. Oh. Richmond was arrested in 2001 
but died of bladder cancer a year later before he could be tried and never revealed who the other man was. Hmm. Since Richmond wasn't from Martinsville, at the time, many townspeople felt that was vindication of the town, hmm. which they felt had been unfairly painted as racist oh, ever since Carol's murder. Yeah. Okay. Paul, Paul Davis, the stepfather, said the mayor of the town, whom he talked to after Richmond's arrest, seemed more happy that it wasn't a Martinsville guy than the fact one of the murderers or the murderer. Did you find out, and you might, I don't know if you're going to, uh, did Richmond admit to it? or You'll find okay. out. Okay. Yes. Sorry. That's all right. Martinsville has felt beleaguered by the legacy of racism that has dogged it concerning this case. In fact, six weeks after Carroll was murdered, when the investigation, such as it was, had stalled, the NAACP asked U.S. Attorney General Ramsey Clark to take a look at the case. And here's what Mark Singer wrote about that. The Indianapolis chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People sent a telegram to the Attorney General Ramsey Clark requesting an investigation by the Department of Justice. The telegram stated that Morgan County has historically been associated with Ku Klux Klan-like activities. That was, of course, technically true. And this is Mark Singer writing. Okay. And indeed, the previous year, the summer of 1967, a Klan motorcade had made a newsworthy tour of several central Indiana towns, which culminated at Martinsville. There, on the courthouse square, 30 or so robed Klansmen carried placards and distributed literature. The Indianapolis Star reported that the group spokesman said Martinsville was chosen for a demonstration because there's a strong local chapter in Morgan County. And then Singer has a parenthetical thing, which is not to say that any of the Klansmen actually lived in Martinsville or that anyone from Martinsville had joined the motorcade. Whether this episode had any connection to the murder was as much a matter of conjecture as most of the other elements of the case. The federal government never undertook a formal investigation, but the NAACP request helped plant in the minds of people, especially black people, in Indiana and beyond the belief that the Jenkins murder was racially motivated and that no one should be surprised that it had taken place where it did. Now, Singer, I have to say in his article, seems a little on the side of things are unfair to Martinsville. Mm. And he's is he reluctant to say it was racially motivated? I'm sure it, his story skates oh, okay. around that, but we'll okay we'll delve into right. whether it was racially right. motivated. The town, long before Carol's murder, this is Maureen again, not Mark Singer, was a hotbed for Klan activity in what only 40 years before Carol was killed had been the biggest Klan county in the biggest Klan state in the United States. Wow. At the time of her death, the city of 10,000 had no black residents. I think I said that. It was listed as a sundown town in a book that was printed from 1936 to 1964, The Negro Motorist Green Book. Oh, I was going to say, who would, okay. Yeah. Which nice. advised black people where it was safe to stay and where it wasn't. Wow. And Keith Beecham talks about this on the Injustice Files Sundown Town episode. Sadly, when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed, the guy who printed this book stopped doing it because he felt it wasn't going to be necessary anymore because of the Civil Rights Act. Sure, buddy. On top of all that, Carol was obviously harassed by men in two different cars the night she was killed. The Neals, the white couple who helped her, were harassed for helping her. Death threats were made, and the door to their house was kicked in. Doesn't surprise me. They were repeatedly subject to racial slurs. One night, when Don was staying at his parents' house in town, they received death threats. And he found out later that his father sat out all night on the front porch with a shotgun. 
The Neals mm. moved out of town shortly after yeah. they had to. Paul Davis, Carol's stepfather, tells stories about when a friend of his went to play basketball against Martinsville in the 1940s. He came back with tales of being just racially taunted throughout the basketball game. Huh. In 1967, a year before Carol was killed, Davis, who always avoided Martinsville, <laughs> long before it supposedly was tainted as racist by Carol's death, went to a high school football game there because his son Larry, Carol's brother, was a star running back for Rushville and they were playing Martinsville. Davis was appalled at the racist hate spewed at his son, not only by kids in the stands, but by adults. Rushville, the town Carol grew up in, was only 3% black, but Paul Davis said they had never experienced anything in that town wow. akin to what happened in Martinsville huh. in his couple experiences wow. there. Martinsville, just a decade or so ago, made national news for a similar incident at a basketball game. Hmm. Today, it's about 97% white and 0.02% black, which makes it even whiter than Maine, where we live, the whitest state in the Union. And it's in an area where there are a lot more black people yeah. than there are Maine. And I'm not saying this is an indictment of Martinsville. I'm putting in context what the racial situation is. Mm -hmm. Residents will tell you the racist label is unfair. That, like any town, it has some racist people, but most of them aren't. I've read at least two articles that referred to, quote, one isolated basketball incident, apparently the one a decade ago. But you hear Paul Davis's history of racism at sporting events there in his two associations with the town. And you wonder how many times it happened that weren't reported. They're not going to be racist to other white people. I know. As we've said many <laughs> like, times, white people are the last people in the world to determine whether something, whether a place or a thing is racist or not. This is ridiculous. Okay. So Singer, in his New Yorker article, wrote, Seeing the name of their town and those three Ks in the same context invariably evokes a complex reaction from the town's loyalists, a mixture of anger, frustration, denial, and weariness, Nourished by a suspicion that the rest of the world is inexplicably determined to punish Martinsville for transgressions it had nothing to do with. And remember that because there's much more to this story. I can't wait. Singer talked to a local historian about all this for his 2002 article. And I feel even though she seems to be quote-unquote racially tolerant, I think it kind of gives you an idea of where people are coming from. Joanne Ratt Stuckgren, a local resident and a doctoral candidate in folklore at Indiana University when this was written. And she said to Mark Singer in 2002, When I travel and people say to me, Oh, Martinsville, that's the headquarters of the KKK. I tell them, listen, Martinville is so disorganized, it couldn't be the headquarters for, any, for anything. In 1995, she wrote a history of the town that was commissioned by a local bank. And Mark Singer writes, she knew better than to duck the issue of race, but she put it off until the very end. A two-page coda entitled The Legend We Live With, in which she maintained that whatever Morgan County's clan infatuation might have been 70 years earlier, it amounted to, quote, no more than other Indiana counties. <laughs> Martinsville, Stuckin suggested, was itself, quote, a minority victim. A small, all-white, central Indiana town maligned for its Supposed racism, just as minorities themselves are maligned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's hard to be white. Yes, she says. Rather than attempting to pin down how that had come to be, she posed a double-edged rhetorical question. And that's Mark Singer's wording, so he's actually being a little more forceful in his recognition that maybe there's some racism there. 
and this is Joanne stuck in again, that Martinsville or any town could become the scapegoat for America's painful sensitivity about its racist and supremacist past is not so unusual. But why Martinsville? You know, she's commissioned to write a history. It wasn't like she's independently researching you know writing you a said, history. You notice how you said earlier we're whores? Well, when somebody pays you to write a history of a town, you write the history they want you to That's write. That's right, baby. You get and your money's worth. So she asks, why Martinsville? Why, hmm. indeed. Why, indeed. <laughs> exactly. Did you write that? It's, like, it's like you wrote my script for me. Well, more on that in a minute. Okay. As Martinsville felt vindicated that the one known probable murderer of Jenkins, Richmond, wasn't from their town, more information came forward. Mm-hmm. In 2014, TV station WTHR talked to Richmond's daughter. I give them a lot of credit. They are the only ones I've seen a lot of this information reported. Hmm. Nice. Shirley McQueen, the daughter of Kenneth Richmond, the man who likely stabbed... You mean allegedly? Yeah, maybe. Allegedly. We'll we'll see if you think it's alleged after Yeah, but you have to say allegedly. No, I don't It's the rules. But she isn't the one who originally called the TV reporter. The information that led to the case being broken open, that was her former sister-in-law, who McQueen had told what had happened. Ah. But McQueen was quickly contacted, and she was the seven-year-old in the car... She had seen a yellow paisley scarf on Carol, something that hadn't apparently been reported on. And it was one of the details that made investigators believe her story. Wow. Yeah. What? In fact, Sandra Chapman, the reporter, wrote a book, The Woman in the Yellow Scarf, and I'm going to find that and read it. That sounds interesting. Okay. But when she talked to McQueen in 2001, McQueen told her that her father and another man chased Carol down, and, quote, I remember watching her fall, she said. Her father gave her $7 not to tell anyone. Oh, God. Police said Richmond admitted he was involved after he was arrested. Oh, okay. Well, he never revealed the name of his accomplice, he told investigators that his accomplice was from Martinsville. Of course he was. Why else would he be in Martinsville? He's visiting his bud. Right. An investigator also told Don and Norma Neal the same thing. While Martinsville has been fairly defensive about its reputation, the proof is in the pudding. The Neals... People who actually seem to walk the talk proposed in 2014 that a monument be put up in the town square in Carol Jenkins' memory. Hmm. They thought it would help the town heal. Yeah, right. I just wanted to put something here and maybe make some diversity here for Martinsville. Don Neal told TV station WTHR in 2014. But you said they moved. Do they? I think they live nearby. Okay. I, they may still live in the county. And okay. I get the impression, and I know I should have looked this up, Martinsville, is the, I meant to look it up. And oh, the county seat. the county seat. Yeah, probably. The yeah. county commissioners voted to approve the monument in February 2014. Days later, the commissioners withdrew their support after backlash from townspeople. County Commissioner Norman Boyles told the TV station he started getting flack. He says he's not opposed to the monument, but it's not the proper place for it. The town square should be reserved for, quote, notables, unquote. Like Robert E. Lee. <laughs> right. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know if there's a statue there. I'm just kidding. I don't think in Martinsville, Indiana, there is. But no, there's. Don't give them any idea. There's some other places but there. The are, Neals, who, as we. The Neals, as we mentioned, who moved out of town because of the reaction they got after protecting Carol all those years ago, say they think the town is changing. It's not as racist as it was before, but it's mostly the young people, they think, are changing. Carol's family told Keith Beecham from Investigation Discovery that they hope the second killer, the one from Martinsville, will be found. 
And the reason I keep stressing that the second killer was from Martinsville is because Martinsville seemed to feel that it vindicated them as a racist town that Kenneth Richmond wasn't from there. When Beecham and his crew came to town in 2013 to film the investigation discovery show on Sundown Towns, word got around fast. They stopped at a diner and sent the producer, who's white, in with a recording device. He identified himself as a reporter and just started saying he was doing a story on small towns and started talking to people. When he brought up Carol Jenkins' murder, he was kicked out of the diner by the owner, and it's all on tape. It's an interesting part of that TV show. By the time they went to talk to the Neals shortly after that, word had gotten to the Neals that that the TV crew was in town and stirring up trouble. And that's all they had done, was gone to that diner. Beecham and his crew talked to one of the guys in the other car, the teenagers. Ah. He said that they circled the block because it was so odd to see a black woman in Martinsville. According to the teenager who was audio recorded, but he's not a teenager anymore, obviously, he's older than we are, but he was audio recorded, his face wasn't shown. The driver, and he was really friendly and seemed happy to talk to them, too. Maybe he just liked being on TV, I don't know. According to him, the guy driving the car, his buddy said, I think that was a black girl. And the guy they interviewed said, I wouldn't think so. So they went around the block to take another look. So that's how rare it was to see a black girl. And they, I bet they probably did yell shit at her. When they heard a black girl had been... Oh, I'm sure they did. In fact, I mentioned that in another sentence. Sorry. When they heard a black girl had been murdered, he said, Oh, because he said shit. You know, we were driving around. Those two are probably the two teenagers, as I mentioned in the car, initially has, harassing Carol. But I'm not sure his memory of the incident is totally accurate. Uh. In fact, they had to take a polygraph and some other people. There was a construction worker who later moved to Florida and died who supposedly took a polygraph. They have people take polygraphs, but we all know what that is all about. The New Yorker story points out that there hasn't been a lynching in Morgan County since 1930. Well, see, they're not racist. Yeah, good for them. (laughs) But if you look at lynching in the figurative sense, what do you call Carol Jenkins' death? Uh, Yeah, yeah, right. Martinsville is defensive, very unhappy with its racist reputation. Yet in 2014, they had a chance to tell the world they're not, and they passed it up. Voyles, the county commissioner, at least in the news story, didn't indicate where a good place for that monument would be. Don Neal said in that 2014 news story, I don't want her hid where nobody can see that monument. He wanted it in plain view. He and Norma both say they are ashamed of the way the town behaved when Jenkins was killed, ashamed she was killed in their hometown, ashamed of what's happened since. The pain is much more acute, obviously, for Carol's family. On the 2013 ID show, they wept at their loss. Mm. They were angry and frustrated with the investigation, both then and now. You would have thought it happened last year how upset they are. Well, and who can blame them when you lose You don't somebody. get a resolution either. You don't, get, you don't feel like anyone cared enough. To- they said from the beginning they weren't part of the investigation. They felt the investigation was never taken seriously. <laughs> and they felt not much had been done to help find the killer of their daughter. There was a lot of discussion before Kenneth Richmond, the whole Kenneth Richmond thing surfaced, that maybe it didn't even have to do with racism. There was one story that was widely circulated and promoted that she rejected someone's advances, and that's why she was killed. Like it was a rape gone wrong or something, which somehow I guess makes it better than being racially motivated. But... It could have easily been both anyway, but it, the it, size of fact. It could have, yeah, but, but even that probably would have been racially motivated. The no, fact shit. that a young woman That's what I'm saying. Yeah. is a young black woman in town is such 
an odd sight that those two teenagers would have driven around the block to double-check it tells you. There's no indication anything's been done since the county commissioners decided the town square wasn't a good place for a monument to heal racial wounds in February of 2014. I couldn't find any other news stories that referenced the monument or said if they were going to put it somewhere else or if it ever came up again. And And if you're listening from Indiana and feel my report's incomplete, please let us know. If that monument has gone up, I'd love to be able to update this story. And there's also no indication that any more progress has been made in finding out who the second man was. Hmm. I can find absolutely nothing on that. The, the last story I can find on anything having to do with this was February 24, 2014 by WTHR-TV about the the county commissioners revoking the monument. Huh. That yes. is the story Aww. of Carol Jenkins. Well, I know it was 50 years ago, but... Well, one thing... It could, it could happen today, well, easily one, today. I feel like people are still tone deaf about... They are. People get so defensive about racism. There's a lot going on today... Where people, get, I think it's even worse than it was like twenty years ago. There's a lot going on it's today. Come back, yes, because people feel validated. Yeah, and there's a lot going on today where people get their backs up that they're being called racist when they feel they're not being. And I think a lot of it has to do with people not recognizing what racism is. Yeah. I think people think if you don't have a big sign saying you know no n words allowed in this town, which apparently some of the sundown towns had, then you're not racist. They had signs that said no N-word? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that they couldn't say the N-word. <laughs> no. It said the N-word. I choose not to say it. I understand now. I'm sorry. I'm not. That's all right. Like I said, if Martinsville and every single story you read has them complaining for decades now about them being called racist and they're not, what is the fucking problem with putting up that monument? You know, there's a lot of talk about monuments these days. Here's a monument that would basically acknowledge something bad happened and, hey, maybe we've moved on. I think that would be the point of it. And they don't, and I'm sorry, none of the stories I read about it described what the monument would look like or saying. I don't know if it ever got that far. But boy, the backlash was so fast that it was less than a week the county commissioners revoked it. Anytime you bring anything up, changing the, the name of a high school team uh, mascot, yeah. there is backlash. People get all pissed off. It's like, what the fuck, people? First of all, if it's a, a predominantly white area, how do you know if it's racist? You know when you know it's racist is when when people of other ethnic groups start moving in. Yes. How do you react to that? Well, the reason... It's easy to say you're not racist when every face you see is white. Right. The test for people is not to say, I'm not racist when they feel they're being confronted with their racism, but to actually try to understand what's being said and what the issue is and... It's funny, just the other day I was reading yet another story about, I think it's the talk about backlash over Hillary Clinton's book, why Donald Trump was elected, and and one of his supporters saying, well, all these other people who aren't white are getting entitlements. Like, I guess being made equal, being brought up, being brought equal with what other people get is an entitlement. I don't know. Then in the next breath, he's saying, and everybody accuses us of being racist. Well, don't fucking say something <laughs> racist. And the fact that people, and and I'm trying to figure out, I've been trying to figure out recently where the disconnect is 
where people don't understand what racism is. Because I don't feel a lot of these people... I think they don't want to. I, I understand that, but where is this... Is it a psychological disconnect, or is it an educational one, or a social one? And granted, our education, we were brought up learning white man's history. And it it was a racist history, it was a misogynist history, okay. it was an anti-Indian history. Oh, yeah. So you have to educate yourself... And learn what you weren't taught. I think also you have to, and I'm not going to sit here and pat myself on the back that I'm like this, ooh, I'm so enlightened and I'm not. No, we're not. And if someone said to me, you just said something that was racist or that's racist, instead of being, how dare you call me that? I have black friends. I do this. I do that. I would say, holy shit. I would say, yeah, I would say, oh my God, what? And how? What? What did I do? To, I mean, I would feel bad. I yeah. would want to know why they thought well, that, and what what did I'm, I do? Or can you tell me what right. it was that made you say that? Instead right. of being defensive, I'd like to know why. Right. And I think a lot of times, if somebody's willing to to be to question themselves, some racist people actually do get better. They question themselves. People do turn around, and I think it's a matter of of listening and educating, there is no way that Carol Jenkins' murder wasn't racially motivated. No. And, and that's been documented now. Oh, now there's, there's evidence. No Martin's way. Bill spent decades claiming it might not have been. But there's also no question that probably the reason it hasn't been solved Oh, I was going to say that. that, Like I said earlier, I mean, just like when all the all the women that have died that are uh, sex workers are on the fringes of society that nobody bothered to investigate very diligently because it's like you know whatever. Well, when you look and when you look at like the facts, so here she is, and I would love to know the point of view of the other black woman who was also. Oh my God, that poor woman. And. And what her story was. And I'm going to read Sandra and, Or what happened to her while she was walking around. Yes. But here, so a cop gets called. These people, the Neals have taken her in. They call the police for her. The cop comes and talks to her. He's a little annoyed that there's a black woman in town. So obviously that's something out of the ordinary. She says she's being harassed. Don Neal says he also saw this other car idling in a place where a car wouldn't normally be idling. And... The cop goes on his merry way. Less than two hours later, this woman is killed, and they just let the entire town trample all over the crime scene, and nobody recognizes it as a crime scene. Well, until... they're probably like, well, what the hell was she doing here anyway? Yeah. It's her own fault. I I'm mean, sure there why was she? Blaming. There's still, I mean, any, there's always victim blaming, even yeah. now. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, what was she doing Well, even what some of you the stories that? you what? read about it have that little taint of, like, Mark Singer's story, if you read the whole thing, and you need a subscription to the New Yorker to do it, maybe he's just trying to be balanced. Maybe it's just in 2002 it's possible that we looked at things differently than we do in 2017. But there's a little bit of kind of poking at the fact that she knew from her stepfather what Martinsville was like and went anyway. And my feeling is the first day on the job, especially if you're a nice, polite young woman. You're not going to be like, I'm not going there. I can go in there. Especially, I don't know if one of the, I mean, they were on some kind of sales team of the other, if one of those other men was her boss somehow or supervisor. I mean, I'm obviously she wasn't and the other, I'm sure the other woman wasn't. And another article, another issue I had with the article is he goes into a lot of detail documenting the racism of the past of Martinville. It makes a lot of effort documenting how Martinsville doesn't think it's racist now. 
but apparently didn't make much of an effort to find out if Martinville is racist now. Well, part of the part of the proof that you are not anymore would be to acknowledge that you were and to make a public if not apology make try to atone for it somehow and the fact that instead of doing that you're just denying it is proof that you probably still are racist. I, I'd like to see what the other monuments, if there are any in that town square. Well, are. the reason I brought up the, yeah, obviously the Confederate monuments is I read an article online. It was some, uh, probably Washington Post or something about how many monuments are in towns that were not Confederate towns. They're in the north. There's one in Minnesota. The Daughters of the Confederacy had these put up everywhere. They commissioned them after. all over. Oh, yeah, in the 20s and yeah. stuff. Well, and was, some in the 60s. You know, it's like, come on. That's okay, though. But this poor woman that got killed, I mean, and I'm not saying that they have one there, but they. I bet if somebody in 1967 had said, hey, let's put up a Robert E. Lee, nobody would have had, there wouldn't have been backlash. No. In fact, I imagine this monument wouldn't be Carol Jenkins sitting on a horse or even <laughs> walking with, <laughs> walking like, a with their little encyclopedias. Yeah. Uh, uh, it would be something. Just like a... Yeah, like a... Something more modern. You know, you think of things like the Vietnam Veterans Memorial yeah. or... Or just like a, yeah, or just like a um, obelisk is, or something. Yeah, or, Not even that, but like a, a granite Right, stone. I would imagine, and this is me imagining, because none of the stories described... I don't know if anyone asked the Neals what they envisioned mm-hmm. or what the county... I would assume at that county commissioner's meeting is somebody who's covered many county commissioners <laughs> and similar meetings in my journalism career... It would have been described to some extent, but I would think it wouldn't be this monument to Carol Jenkins, if that's what people are afraid of, but more something saying on what happened in the town. And you really don't, I think Martinsville, apparently, and this is from what I've read, I've never been there, and I don't know anyone from there, and it's all based on things I've read, they would like to be recognized, as, they would like when somebody talks about their town to not talk about Racism yes, and Carol did the right thing. Well, it, was, it, sim- it reminds me, I mean, when we talked about a couple episodes ago, Malaga Island in Maine, mm-hmm. it took a long time, first of all, for it to be recognized. A century. A century. For it to be recognized as something bad that that the state did for all those years of people denying it and for the governor to apologize on behalf of the of the state and for there to be a monument and there, and for people to talk about it. And wouldn't it be cool in Martinsville if instead of people talking about what a racist place it is and how Carol Jenkins was murdered there and nobody gave a shit, if people were talking about, look at here's a town that can come to terms yes. with what happened and try to heal and try to understand. Because I didn't get a feeling from any of the white people quoted in any of the stories except for the Neals that I read, that anybody was fully trying to understand what had happened or how her family feels or how, you know, or how this looks. Take a walk 100 yards out of your town and turn around and look at it from that point of view and think how it looks to other people. Well, just, you know, think of her as a human being. If your 21-year-old daughter was on her first day of the job walking down the street and someone stabbed her for no yeah. reason. And and it's funny you bring that up because I was just thinking... Well, it, it wasn't for no reason. They had a reason, but... They had a... For no good a, reason. Well, there's no good reason to stab mm. somebody. Well, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Uh, but when you say if your daughter, what I'm looking forward to is a day, and I thought this a lot when the whole 
Trump bragging about sexually assaulting oh. women happened last year, and a lot of men started their indictment of Trump with, I have daughters, blah, blah, blah. I'm looking for a time when people don't have to qualify why they want things to be better for yes. women. Not to say, I, since I have daughters, I care about this. Yes. Because I care about this. And the same goes for racism. Mm-hmm. Not to say, not to have to say, well, okay, I don't understand why this, why we need to feel so strongly about this. Oh, but wait, if she were my daughter, my white daughter. Sometimes, though, that's the only way you can get somebody I, on that road. I understand that. And I'm not... I'm, but I agree with you. It's not, too bad you have to do that. Right. And I feel that way about sexual assault. Yes. And I feel that way... I know people, About everything. I know... I feel the way about everything. I know people have to personalize things. Yeah. To make them real... Like, I was... For a newspaper I worked at for 25 years, I was... Uh, officer in the union there we were had a good union very strong union paper and there were people who were anti-union and it was about as close to a closed shop which means you had to join the union as you could be still there were people in it who didn't want to have anything to do with the union and yet and then they would get jerked around or something would happen or they would get in trouble for something that they didn't think they should get in trouble to and all of a sudden they were big strong union members and you're happy to have people who are but it's like it would be nice if people, and I always felt that, could take the bigger view. And this yeah. isn't some big pro-union rant. I'm, this is a metaphor. A bigger view and understand that you don't need to be personally affected by something to care that other people are personally affected. And the more we feel that way, and I think we talked about that on the Malaga Island episode, about it's very easy in Maine to not care about racism. Yeah. And until people who don't have to care because it doesn't affect them every day, start caring about racism, about sexual assault, about domestic violence, about how women are treated in general, about women getting paid less than men. I know. About all these things, until people realize it benefits everyone to be inclusive and tolerant, it's not going to work. So, on that note, on that note, but that was a very good. It was very sad. It actually made me cry it because is sad. thinking of that poor woman. And you know, it's funny because a lot of the topics we do, and a lot of topics other podcasts do, are topics where you can find a ton of stuff on mm-hmm. the internet. And Carol Jenkins isn't the only one something like this has happened oh, to. No. And I believe it's because her family has not let it go that it. It's still news that and the monument thing and the fact that there was a break in the cold case, although I think it's wicked funny that the Indiana State Police and many stories get credit for that when it was um, Was somebody calling a TV reporter who was a woman of color and telling her that actually got them to look at it. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit out there, and I, I always think it's... It's interesting to go find stuff that may not That not be. everyone's doing. You know, it's funny. For some reason... For some reason. Nah. I was reminded the fact that she's walking down the street. I read the book, it was a book when it first came out, The Warmth of Other Suns, about the migration of blacks from the South to oh, the yeah, North. I, I read it a few years I ago. Read I, I remember it was when Hannah was, in, <laughs> when Hannah was first born, and I used to spend a lot of time in intensive care reading, and it's a long book. It's very, very good. The Warmth of Other Sons by Isabel Wilkerson. And Isabel Wilkerson talks about her own... She tells the story of a few specific people to tell the whole history of this movement. Right. But she also mentions her own family, and her mother was an upholsterer 
and used to go to people's houses to do measurements and upholster things. And she would walk down the street. I think she used to take the bus and stuff. I don't think she had a car. But when she was walking on the street, people would yell things out the window like, hey, girl, can you come in here and clean my bathroom and stuff like that? Yeah. Like, I thought she was just like, and it reminded me of all Tom, Tom Yeah, Robinson. can you cut up my chiffon robe? You know, it's like, yeah. but people felt like they had a right. right. And this was in the, you know, probably 50s or something. They just felt like they had a right to just, yeah. hey, can, can you come and do this or that? I'll give you 10 bucks. What the fuck, people? Yeah. But it's something that you or I back then, walking on the street, people wouldn't think, no. they wouldn't say, no. hey, can you come in here and do this for me? No. no. It's something that when I read it, it sounds kind of stupid, but when I read it, I hadn't ever thought of that. You know right. what I mean? Like, I hadn't thought it's of that. It's not something they told us about in history. Though. And it's not, it's not anything. It's not like, oh, they, they they were throwing rotten tomatoes at her or something. But at the same time, it's like, who the fuck and are I you? I bet you there you are think- people who you would tell that to and they wouldn't see the racism in it. No. Because people, it, it, things have to be so... Well, just like people don't see the sexism in some random guy who I don't know saying to me, hey, blah, 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 do this or do that. Well, being asked to make the coffee. Being mm. asked to get somebody a cup of coffee. I mean, now it's different. It doesn't happen anymore, but, you know, there were Anyways. times when it... And, and it, in the context, too. Like, like I'll get someone a cup of coffee that's a man. The, just, the reason I bring that up but is because about 20 years ago, I was in a meeting, and I was the only female in the meeting at work, and somebody in the meeting asked me if I would go get... The coffee maker was in another room and if I would go get the coffee and bring it in. And I was not the lowest ranking person in the room. Whoa. And I gave them a look and I said, I will, but I'm not sure why. But why are you asking me? I didn't say Because of these boobs here? I said, I will, but I'm not sure why you're asking me to do it instead of one of these other guys. And some of the other guys kind of laughed and then another guy made a remark. To the guy who had asked me, like, yeah, that wasn't too smooth or something. But especially Maureen, I don't know if anyone. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if anyone would have said anything if I hadn't. If and there's a lot of times. It. There's a lot of times I let that shit slide, especially when I was younger. And I still do in my job a lot of times because. Well, you can't be fighting a war every minute. And of the day. you know what? Uh, and it depends on the situation. If someone's saying shit about Hillary Clinton, I will friggin'. I'm so tired of listening. I'll, yeah, but I will fight for her. But if it's some old geezer saying, calling me dear, it's like, who gives a shit? I'd rather have an old geezer than a young guy. Yeah. When a young guy does it, it's like, fuck you. Yeah. Go to hell. Anyways. But, so enough about that. Yes. <laughs> And I know that black women, because I've heard this several times recently, would tell you that they aren't even at the point where they can give know. much of a shit about the things we give a shit about. I understand that. They have they have other fish to fry. I know. Bigger in some ways. Something, they, uh, they have a whole n- another layer of it. And yes. I, I I do understand yes, that. We do, we do. But that doesn't mean we're, we're not going to. I'm not saying, oh, it's so it. hard to be a woman. I, I understand what it's well, like. Well, my mom frequently brings up, and I don't. Oh, about Italians being. Yes, yeah. when she, our mom is 81. She's a first generation American and Italian. I believe her when she says they were basically treated the way in a lot of places black people were treated. In the town she lived in, there was an Italian section, and Italians were considered, and I think darker people always are. Yes. And and I remind her, well, you weren't treated as bad as the blacks in your town, because she tells me how they used to have garbage trucks that were just open dump trucks, and it was always black guys 
who would just be standing there in that garbage all day. And I don't think she's really saying yeah, that. Yeah, she experienced some some kind of bias, but it's not the. But the thing I always tell people is like, because I remember a friend of mine whose uh, mother was French Canadian and grew up in I think in New Hampshire, and French Canadian people were looked down upon because they because of a class. It's a class thing a lot of times, and where you're from and you have an accent. And but um, I felt like saying to her, which I didn't because I was young. Um, but thought it. You could go somewhere else in the world, though. You could go a lot of other places in the world where, where you, you would work. be fine. Yes. But in the United States, no matter where you go, you're going to be black. Yeah. And people, you know, you might go somewhere else where people right. hear your accent and they think, oh, what a cute, ex- right. quaint accent or something. And they that- don't understand. In fact, when we first moved to Augusta, Maine in 1973, mm-hmm. there were very few, if any, black people in Augusta. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the French Canadians lived on what's still called Sand Hill or St. Augustine Church. It was the kids, it was the other Catholic school. Yes. They spoke French, a lot of them. But I remember, and I cannot remember who was having this conversation, but around the time I went to high school, a few years after we moved there, there was a big bust up on the football team because of the the way the non-French Canadian kids were treating the French Canadian kids. Ooh. And I can't remember who I was talking to about. I, I have a vague memory of this. I remember the person talking to me about it saying, well, since we don't have any black people, the kids need somebody to shit like, on, well, that's and they're shitting on the French Canadian kids. Chris Christopherson said, "Everybody's got to have somebody right. to look down on." That's right. Not but Jesus was a Capricorn. Jesus was, and Jesus wouldn't like any of this shit. And Jesus would be pissed. Jesus would be pissed. But on that note, I think we we have some a fun recommendation. Yes, tonight. we do. <laughs> So last night we went to the movies. We did. We were very upset to find that they're going to be renovating. Closing the bistro. Yeah, the movie theater we went to had a bar in it. Which makes it good because then you And the lobby to... too because it's fun. So then you can sit there at the bar which is like kind of cordoned off. And so watch kids... people come in. Yeah. yeah. So the kids can't come in. They're going to replace it with an arcade. <sighs> but one of the reasons we liked it is because if you go to eat before the movies and you have slow service or something because you had to work and you got out Yeah. Of it's like, oh shit, we're going to be like. But one thing is I ordered the potato nachos. And it turns out they didn't have sour cream. Oh, they were out of sour cream. But then that guy gave you a free beer, so that was They didn't really give me a free beer. He took some of the... He said he was going to... My check ended up being the same as it would have been had he not taken the beer off. What? He took the beer off and put it back on or something. Oh. I don't think he realized what he did. And I don't care because I didn't want a free beer just because they didn't have sour cream. But had I known when I ordered the nachos that they didn't have yeah. sour cream, I would have ordered something else because the sour cream is... Yes, I Otherwise, understand. it's just potatoes And you know, they always them. give you... And <laughs> with shit. That's yeah. kind of a funny thing to order. Why do they just give you so little... Like at Mexican restaurants, yeah. they give you that little tiny thing. And salsa, yeah, because it had salsa. No, and sour cream. And sour cream. I know yeah, they always give you but that. But they're going to replace it with an arcade, which is a big money maker. Yeah. And I guess the bistro wasn't. Lots of overhead and not a yeah, lot. Yeah, arcade. All you got to do is probably rent the machines from somebody, yeah. just like with vending machines. just put the money in. So anyways, we went to see It. Yeah. A um, movie based on the Stephen King book. novel of 1986. Which I read it like 80, when it came out in paperback, so Me it was too. about 87. Yeah. Very long book. Um, 1100 plus over, pages. Yes. I enjoyed the book for Me the too. most part. I remember one point in the book I was reading, and I was... So scared by whatever I was reading. And it wasn't one of the scenes where they're down fighting the 
clown or whatever. It was a scene where the guy was Bill, I think, as an adult. It was during the adult parts. Because in the book, there's scenes where they're adults. There's like present day scenes. And he was going up the stairs. There was something at the top of the stairs or something in the bathroom at the top of the stairs or something. And I was so scared that I did not want to turn the page. I was... So it was. No, I mean, the right that means it's good. I mean, he's a good. I just want to say good about writer. Stephen King. He understands that the biggest things you're afraid of are the things you don't see and the things that's, going on. In that's your why, head. to me, horror movies don't usually and, work. For instance, the girl who loved Tom Gordon. You never see the thing. It's actually adulthood. That's you kind of see it at the end. Right. Well, yeah. But you know what I'm saying. Yes. So two things he does really well. He understands. That it's what's in your head, and I'm not saying it's all in your head, but it's yes. what's in your head. That's your own you. fear. He also has always been a master at capturing misfits and people on the market. And male characters. And male characters, yes, and we have an issue. And he knows, I think he knows he has an issue with female characters. And the thing, too, is with this... You know, Steve. Yeah. With this, I call him Steve. Name. Yeah, we call him Steve. Well, actually, when I was in high school... Very quick tangent. Though, yeah, I know you're looking at, oh, shit. Which, uh, Mrs. Fryover, I think I can probably say her name right, our English teacher. She's still around. We had, we, and I'm sure she's listening. Well, she's not teaching, but, yeah. To this podcast. But we took a, we had a main literature course. And I know we must have read other stuff, but all I remember is reading Stephen King in it. And he, at the time, he was still teaching at Maine. And this would have been the late 70s. Yeah. Carrie had come out. Yes. And he had just was just beginning to become famous. And she always referred to him as Steve. Well, Steve King. Steve. I worked Steve with somebody King. that went to college with him. But yeah. he admitted he didn't know him very well. And then another person I worked with was good friends with him. And his he and his wife were college sweethearts. And I guess she was good friends. But they always called him Steve. Yes. Yeah, so he has. So everybody in and Maine And I used to see him when I lived ownership. in Bangor. I've seen him. I used to work at the bookstore in Bangor. And, I mean, there weren't many bookstores. So I used to go on there. But we're going to talk about the issue with the female character. Yes. So we don't need to. So. So my review of the movie was meh. I don't know. I thought it was entertaining. I'm not a big horror movie fan. No, because and, and, as I and, said, the, I just get, come on. And at the end, it was like chapter one. So I think what they're going to do, and I haven't read any reviews of it, so I could be wrong. They're going to take all the adult stuff and make a second Oh, maybe movie. that's what they're going to do. And that's why they put it. What I'll say about the, the movie, I... I, th- I thought the kids were cute. The kids, they looked the age, although they're a little older than in the book. I believe they're like 12. Um, they're a little older. Well, it's funny. I started assuming they were 12, and then I realized, of course, the girl looked like she could have been 21 yeah. in some instances. But I started thinking maybe they were more like 13. Well, well then they mentioned he had, he was studying for his bar mitzvah, so he's probably 13, yeah. Stanley. I thought the girl that played Beverly was, I liked her. She wasn't, she did sometimes look older, but she looked young she wasn't hugely developed she didn't wear a ton of makeup she was a beautiful girl but she looked like the freckles yeah and looked like the girl that would have in the in the book who was red was a red-haired girl with freckles and actually i'm glad richie made that crack about who asked molly ringwald along late in the movie because i'm thinking wow she is really bringing the molly ringwald yeah she kind of did but she had her hair i thought it was okay i haven't read the book in 30 years so that was good because if i had i would have been like because i remember watching the miniseries it was 1990 and it really really annoyed me i don't know why now they tried to do main accents oh god which thank god this movie didn't try to 
don't do it. And they actually, in this movie, they didn't specify the state. They didn't say anything about they it being did, Maine. They did say it was. They showed it was. They Maine. said it was I dairy. Mean, when did they show they it? They had Maine, Maine license plates. Oh, they did have Maine license. He plates. asked her if she was going down to Portland. Oh, that's right. He, that's right. Um, but they didn't talk about too much about it. And yes, they didn't try to do Maine accents, which thank God. Maine accents sunk more. Want to hear King. The best Stephen King novels that were made into movies. Stand by me, but don't try to do. That was a short story. Stand by me. Well, uh, it's a twelve hundred place uh, page novel. Dolores Claiborne. I never uh, saw Dolores. I read Dolores Claiborne. I think I never saw. Wasn't Dolores Claiborne a short story, or was it? I I don't 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 remember. I don't know if I read the book. But in any case, I thought the movie was entertaining. I thought it was scary, but the scariest things were not. When the clown monster was chopping things up, and I felt oh. that went on too long in a couple places. The scariest parts were when you didn't know what was yes, going to happen. Yeah. When the kids, especially when each the kid is. first had their encounter. Yeah, you those know. were scary. The and book, you can attest, I was saying, don't go there, Yes, don't and go. the book delved more into each kid's own, their life, the scary things in their life, like Beverly's creepy father, and they all had issues, right. I can't like, remember now. Like, you don't now. understand why Ben, who was my actual, I like the kid who played him, and I like the way he was played, the new kid, the chubby yeah. kid. I really liked that character, in fact. I would like to see more of him. But you never really understand what his fears yes. are. And I, I remember somebody I worked with who knew Stephen King, one of them, but he's now, this guy is now gone, complaining because he was a writer too and mm, not was as good. sour grapeish. A uh, nice person, though. But he, you know, he needs an editor. He writes too, too long. I agree that some of his books are long, although I will say, yes, they are long, but I have never been, while reading any of his books, been like, uh, this is going on so long. You know, if somebody's going to read an 1,100-page book, and if it's going to become a classic, that they're going to make a TV miniseries out of, and then a movie, and then probably a second movie... Who's complaining about it being 1100 pages? And the thing is, he knows how to build up suspense. He knows there are very few writers that you can be reading and you're going to, you're, like I said, afraid to read what's next, but you want to read, but you don't know what's going to happen, but you want to keep reading. There's some that you're like, oh, Jesus is going to happen or that's going to happen. And I have to say, even at the beginning of this, when Georgie was going to the sewer, and I knew what was going to happen. Part of me was thinking, maybe he won't. One criticism is the kid that played Georgie creeped me out. I don't know why. He was creepy. He was was a little too cutesy and 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 cloying. I also want to make two other points. I love the way most of the adults were, like the librarian. They were peripheral. The peripheral. Right, because it's kids' point of view. But most of the adults were reprehensible human beings. I know, they were all assholes. Although, what's the kid's name? Billy? Who looked like Juliette Lewis, except for a young boy version. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't figure out who he reminded me of. Not that that's bad. You know, She's an attractive woman. But his father was just upset. He was pissed off. He kind of had a Mike Brady moment. Yes, he was. And his one scene, his father only had the one yeah. scene. But I got into a little Twitter thing with somebody know, about and I, and this. Because we haven't mentioned the one thing I fucking hated about the book. Me too. And everybody talks about is there is a scene in the book that I, well, you'll see from my Twitter exchange. And there is no reason for it. One issue I have, and it's, and I see it in a lot of other things, and it bothered me when I read the book, and I call this like Smurf syndrome. And I think there's some other Smurf syndrome now, and I don't know what that is. But you have (laughs) the doctor and the carpenter and the lawyer, blah, 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 and you have the girl. Yeah. Like, she's another subset. And in this one, you had the girl, 
and she's sexualized. Yes. Okay. You can't have a non. She can't have a buddy. Who's so we, we can talk more about this after. Okay. Because I had this little Twitter thing with somebody, and I, That's so long. It's not a little Twitter thing. It's a big one. Well, you can read me, okay? okay. But I'll read the first three people that set it, this up, and I'll be the. I call her It fan. That's not her okay. name. It was a woman. It was a young woman okay. who I wasn't the only one she she talked to. And this was a, one of those long ass things on Twitter that a bunch of people were talking yeah. about. This is just one so part of it. People try to make Twitter like Facebook. And you know how Twitter goes. It's yes. weird because sometimes people will respond to one thing, and yes. so it, so yeah. it's kind of weird. But also. She didn't only respond to me, and this is just part of that thing, but she apparently wrote some kind of thesis on it. So this is just giving you some context, because she told somebody else that okay. she wrote a thesis on him. And okay, I, and so you're going to read... I'll read Twitter I'm number gonna one, be, two, and I'm going to be you, you'll be you're going to be everybody else. You're going to be Rebecca. Rebecca, which is you. Because Twitter number one says, apparently the novel It about a clown in the sewer is 1,200 pages long, and no one will tell me why. Idiot. That's Maureen's speech. Tweeter number two says, it also apparently features a crazy underage orgy with three question marks. Mm-hmm. Tweeter number three says, yeah, King had to hide it in all those extra pages to get it past his publisher. And they do discuss in other parts of the tweet, someone said he was totally on coke at the time, which I don't know is true. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we can talk about that later. So... Rebecca. Then I chimed in. So so whenever you hear... So I don't have to say Rebecca each time. Anytime you hear my voice... I assume our voices are different enough. Anytime you hear my voice, I'm Rebecca. Okay. Yes, unfortunately. I love the book, except for that unnecessary scene, which was not an urge. I put the stick there because it's supposed to... You meant orgy. Yes, I put okay. everything verbatim. It was verbatim okay. from t- Twitter. Do you want me to read it as yes. you wrote it? Which read it as I wrote urge, it. Which not an urge, meaning orgy, yeah. but a gangbang, just saying... Okay, and now I'm going to be it. From now on, I'm it fan. That's what I called her. Okay. It was a symbol of the ugliness of the loss of childhood and innocence and the importance of community and survival. Could have been done a different way. Well, when you're a best-selling author who is a master of the genre, write something different. I thought it was a well-fashioned symbol. Oh, please. I suppose he's above critiquing, and I assume you meant being critiqued. Oh, I see. Yes. I suppose he's above. I get. Only <laughs> other best-selling authors can have an opinion. Not at all well-fashioned. Gross. Lone girl in the group is only there for one thing. Guess I'm not sophisticated enough to get it. I didn't really mean it that snarky, but yeah. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm being you. <laughs> I have to read. Uh, you know, I have to know what my motivation is. <laughs> And by the way, people listening, she hasn't read this before. I yeah, just handed it I'm to her. I'm just reading it now. I'm not saying it's above reproach, but I'm saying people are overreacting about it, making it overly gross, limit Bev's existence to... And then she has a little one with a slash, which means she's got going on a long thing. But I broke in, so... He limited her existence with this scene. That's my point. I'm not the one who did it. I read it. The ones, so I'm continuing my thought. I'm it fan. The one scene, so I'm not saying she's it's above reproach. I'm saying blah blah. blah. She's limiting Bed's assistance to the one scene, calling it a gangbang. That's like a twelve-year-old word. When the whole point is, it's about the transition from kidhood assigning. And then the she, characters are twelve years old. I don't see how else. <laughs> what are you trying to say there? And if would describe. <laughs> Oops. What else would you call it? Look. I know you analyzed the book, but the whole idea is sexist. It's not my job to give... No, it's not my job to give him ideas. 
a demeaning or persecution. She's continuing her thought that I interrupted her. A demeaning or persecution to it when it's supposed to represent the confused, awful, awesome space between. The book nearly used... The book used one nearly continued recognized symbol to cover a breathtakingly broad and complicated series of changes. I can't think of a more well understood symbol that continued would cover it. If you can, I would legit love to hear it. I'm not saying it's not flawed in parentheses by the prejudices and expectations of era continued and artist because if it it really is but so is all art dot 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 close parentheses but the way people are harping on it like it's a tacked on disposable scene is tone deaf we are operating with fundamentally different concepts of sex and its function and role so we aren't going to agree agree to disagree i love the book otherwise don't think it was too long i love his writing and nice conciliatory tweet on your part. I don't think the existence of sex caused him to make a girl character, and I don't demean non-romantic sex, so I don't find it sexist. Well, good for her. But I don't, that wasn't good my fucking point. And my point me, was he me. didn't put a girl in the book, which I wasn't going to go on to her because I didn't even see that until I was just going reading the tweets again, But because I was dumb with her when I said agree to disagree. Yeah. But he didn't, I'm not saying he put a girl in the book just so she could be a sex object what i'm saying is when they had a scene where they had to all bond the only way he could think of them to bond was to gangbanger which is to me was a disgusting disappointing scene they're 12 year old kids yes and i thought and when i read it i was disgusting and demeaning if they had been 21 year old kids yes and she totally let me just say and this is the first time i've read this yes so she did a thesis or something. Is she a PhD or something? I know. I don't it know. might have been just and some kind of. So apparently she feels only novelists her, her. can, but only novelists can comment. So I'm a novelist. Not oh, you're a best-selling novelist. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes, no, you I'm not. You're a future best. But, but I, you know, I do have a following, and I have been editing and reading books. I don't have a PhD. But I've been editing I don't know if she does. reading books. I'm if she has a PhD in it, who gives a fucking shit? Well, you said she apparently... This is a thesis, what she wrote here. But Ugh. she, I could take her points apart piece by piece, but I'm not going to do that. But what I'm going to say is she's trying to rationalize and validate yes. a gangbang. Yes. And it's a gangbang. And she says that's a 12-year-old word. Yeah, I'm, I'm 56 and I use gangbang frequently. <laughs> and she does it all the time. Too. <laughs> yeah, right. She actually does a gangbang. Yeah. yeah. That said, she's a very limited scholar and reader and critic. If the only way she can think of to bond and let me find what her and, yeah. and, and symbolize the ugliness of the loss of childhood and innocence, I guess getting raped would do that. And the importance of community and survival is for six boys to fuck a girl, and they're all twelve years old then she's very li- a limited person. I know. And it is gross. Yes. It is disgusting. Stephen King's a talented writer. Yes. And I don't think It was he beneath even, him, I thought. I don't think he even likes that scene in retrospect. And to tell you the truth, if she can't think of better ways, if that's the only way she can think of to symbolize and let's And I don't it, care what your attitudes about sex but, are. But let's and, and uh, neither of us are prudes. I could write a I don't sex get, scene that would burn this girl's hair off. I don't but, care about non romantic sex. What I'm saying, that has, okay, right, but off. what I'm saying is people have been writing this theme she's talking about about the loss of innocence, about the importance of community since people have been writing. And 
Very few of them have, and I'm not going to sit here and name them, I was an English major, had to use 12-year-olds having a gangbang to do it. So her support of it is totally flawed. Mm. She thinks she can sound like a scholar, and that means she's making a good point, and she's not making a good point. And also, it is gross. We're not overreacting. And she, you said she's a young woman. Well, one of the problems with the way women are objectified and demeaned is people continue to t- try to rationalize women being sex objects. Well, and I felt the girl in the movie, and I know the movie went by the book. So as yes. originally we're talking about the book, she's a sexualized person. She's the only sexualized. The boys are very She's young. sexualized by her father. She's she sex- has a bad reputation. Right. Her and father in the book, abuses her. Which she is has a fine. reputation in school. My feeling is that if you're going to have that girl in a book as a writer, if I were editing another writer, if I were Stephen King's editor when this book which came out, he and needed. I'm not... I'm not saying I'm even worthy, but if I were, I would have said, Steve, you can have Bev, but you need to get another girl in that group who's not sexualized, and you got to lose the gangbang scene. You need a Daphne for the Velma, is that what you're saying? Yeah. (laughs) And granted, 30 years ago, people weren't as... Even then, when I read that, though, it grossed me out. Well, when I read it, it bothered me. It bothered me. It bothered me. It bothered me because the kids were young, but it also bothered me because even in 1987, and I would have been 26 years old, I was very concerned about the treatment of women versus the treatment of men, and how I was treated in a male-dominated career. And how I'd been treated since I was a kid. Well, my objection to it has nothing to do with non-romantic sex, no. which I couldn't care less. My my feeling is, so what if to bond, if, what if they had been an all-boy group? And to bond, they fucked each other all anal sex. Look what at, would people have said about that? <laughs> or if they all picked, like, Richie and had sex with him? The argument is ridiculous. Well, he wouldn't have thought of that as a bonding thing if there hadn't been a girl in the group. Right. And, and uh, that's why I think it's sexist. Right. And also the young woman who wrote her If she had had sex with one of the other boys, I wouldn't have been pleased about right. it. But it's it different. Been. It was different. And the young woman who wrote her dissertation by tweet here also kind of does that old thing where he kind of accusing people who differ with her of being prudes for not understanding non-romantic sex. But as you pointed out, we're talking about 12-year-olds. There's no such thing as consensual sex, even if they're doing it with each other. And it's not as though it was a 21-year-old girl consenting to have purely physical non-romantic sex with six 21-year-old boys, which I still would have had a problem in in the scene. Not that I would have had a problem with it in a porn movie, but I would have had a problem with it in a scene in a book, trying to depict what he's trying to depict, because it objectifies and sexualizes the woman and it puts her on, if we're going to talk about it purely by literary critique, which this young woman was too, it puts her on a different plane. It makes her submissive and subjugates her to those guys, no matter what kind of fucking sex it is. I know. And once again, it demeans the woman. So it's a bad scene. It would have been, and they didn't have it in the movie. No, they did Blood Brothers, which I actually said, because I've argued about the scene for 30 years, why didn't they just do that Blood Brother thing that people do? And frankly, when she says it was a necessary scene, I think, and and this may be a spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie, but good God, the book's been out for 30 years, when the whole group of them together defeats, at least for the time, it, 
I think that is much more a community bonding. Yeah, I, I honestly feel it is an unnecessary. When, I don't and, and I won't go into detail here, but I will say when Billy has to do what he has to do, when they're down in that sewer, yes. when he's seen the apparition yes. of his little brother, Georgie, to me that's the most powerful yes. loss of childhood innocence that I've seen in a movie in a long time. And I'm not saying the movie was this great classic, but that one moment, yeah, that was, if you really think about him as a person and what he's doing, and as we can see from this movie, it wasn't a necessary no. thing to have. It and they didn't have me. it in the miniseries, still not that that was me. good. But. Right, and it still bothers me that the girl, that the only girl, and, I, and granted, 12-year-old boys don't have a lot of friends who are girls. 12-year-old girls probably don't have a lot of friends who are boys. But you can... You can have a girl who's not sexualized. You can have another girl in the group. Call her a tomboy as much as I hate that. Have another girl. Nothing against, again, against Stephen King. I'm a huge fan of his. But I don't think male authors necessarily think of including, just like real life. It's not that it's an all-boys club, but they don't consider including a woman unless there's sex involved. No, well, yeah. You know, and it can be 12-year-olds or it can be... And the other thing is, his women characters have usually, even like in Misery, the lady was a fucking nut job. Well, so... That doesn't matter. Right. I would say, for instance, Firestarter. I don't think I ever read that. I want to say Dakota. (laughs) Dakota Fanning. Oh, Um, Drew Barrymore played her. Drew Barrymore played her in the movie. Um... The, I and I and I read and the and those, the girl that loved Tom Gordon, but maybe it's because they're kids. I think you're right. Like mm-hmm. a girl who's pre-adolescent, he's better at doing because they're more like boys. Yeah, they're kids in some ways because sex Cause hasn't kids are kids. It. Yeah, but there are very few. And this is a generalization on my part, but it's a generalization that's true to me in my experience. I can name very few male writers who I think do female characters who aren't stereotypes or sexualized. You always have the bitchy wife or bitchy girlfriend. Yes, and they're, they're always buzzkills. And when they're not buzzkills, they're, they're boring. Or they're just all about wanting to have sex with a guy Or all the they time. all want to have, you have the average guy and every girl in the book wants to have sex with him. Wally Although Lamb, this last book of his I read was kind of sneezy. I did not like that last book. But, for instance, and she's come undone Wally Lamb's first book. I remember talking to you at the time about how it was hard for me to believe a man yeah, could understand. Yeah, he's good. And you know who else does a good job is Chris Bojalian, who's yes. from Vermont. Yeah. He's one of those ones, in some ways it's similar to Jody Pico, because he does different chapters, in, and I, I hope I'm not wrong because I've read a lot of his books, but in different people's points of view. And he does do he does have women, and he I've never been like you know yeah and i so there are i mean i'm not saying it shouldn't be an issue but it right and i'm not saying too that no male writer can write good female characters or that all female writers are good writing male characters because i'm sure some of them but that's not what we're talking about right now anyway (laughs) but i do get frustrated because writers i like and admire i still have issues with the stereotypical female characters in fact one thing, when I, before I started writing my mystery novels, I wanted to have strong female characters who weren't cliches or stereotypes. Well, even women are, yeah, because even women writers are, are guilty of these stereotypes. Right, these superhuman women who can, like, cure cancer and shoot people and kick ass and even. Wear heels and look great. Right, and, have, and every man, wa- man wants to have sex with them and stuff. And I wanted to have more, I wouldn't call them normal people, but non glamorous, mm-hmm. just. 
strong female characters who were more real to people that people could like us yeah that people could <laughs> that Sorry. people could identify with yes thank you so thumbs up or thumbs down i would say thumbs up i yeah, guess we're gonna get sued that's a stare that's a i mean oh okay mark. okay that's Do we right. re- i would say go, would you recommend i found it an entertaining movie. yes it was entertaining i'm not a big fan of horror movies in general it made me want to read the book again though because i felt that they they gave some of the characters short shrift particularly but stanley. it's short that's the problem yes it's, it's hard to put that much yeah poor stanley was i thought a some of the character. kids acting was great i loved the character ben the kid. Yeah, he I was very the good was actor. Good, the girl the was very good. Uh, was her good. name was Jeremy. And they something. actually did a decent job of making Canada look like Maine, which you don't see it that It did often. look Maine-ish. It did. It did. It did. Some of the architecture was, meh. Yeah. Um, but otherwise... I would highly recommend the book, even with the scene. And and it's not the main where there is a nice beach in Oceanside because Derry, Maine was based on Bangor, Bangor. Maine. And in the book, the water tower, I used to live in Bangor. Yeah, the water tower in the movie is like the one in Bangor. Well, the one in the book is pretty much if you lived in Bangor... When you read it, you would know but, exactly. But what where I'm it saying went. is that, and we're not talking about the well that the clowns in, but the water tower that they show that Ben has the postcard. It's like of, looks like a big yes, the postcard. It, that's right. Even though the movie was filmed in Canada, I think they used a shot they of must the have. water tower that's in Bangor. And there's like when I first moved to Bangor, I'm like, oh, I lived there in '93, '94, and I knew it was based on Bangor, I guess, but I hadn't really been to Bangor much because it's a, it's, you know, it's, Bangor. It's, <laughs> no, it's, a it's, cute, it's not a bad town, it's, though. It's not the kind of place you're going to go to unless you live up in yeah. that area. And, but so it is a nice little town. It's, it's the a queen urban city. hub for northern and central Maine. It it's, is. It is. You know. It really is. And the water tower, they actually had a tour of it when I lived there. They opened it up to the public. You know, you can walk up and have an observatory. And And there's an, yeah, and there's like, like a bird sanctuary around it. And in the book, there was, so everything was like in the book. I'm like, ah, even. Well, he does Maine well, too. Yes. He captures the real Maine Maine as a. He doesn't always do stuff on the coast. And that's what I, one of the things I like about him. Well, yeah, as opposed to the lobsters and lighthouses, Maine. Yeah. So, anyways, we've so gone on long enough. This week. If you have stuff you need to tell us or disagree with us, you can email us at crimeandstuff at gmail.com. Yes. If you listen to us on iTunes, please rate and review. We do have quite a few listeners. We do. I mean, do. Um, must, must. and you know what I noticed looking at, because Blueberry, we have Blueberry as our host, mm-hmm. and I like to look at the geography. We have listeners on every continent except Antarctica. Well, what the hell Every is wrong with those Antarctic people? I don't know. Is that the South Pole? Yes. I also noticed for both this podcast, Groovy Tube, and my Cranky Editor podcast that after the U.S., our biggest country is Japan. Wow. So Hi. thank you, Japan. It used to be Australia, but now it's Japan. And we're very popular in states that I wouldn't think were popular. Like Texas. And Tennessee. Yeah. Well, thank you. I thank everybody. I'm so excited. You guys don't know if you don't have if you don't have a podcast. Yeah, it's so cool to see that people are listening. I know to us in places and that like us. We assume. So if you do, even if you don't, I don't and care. Just review us. Maybe I'm asking for trouble here, but and you can follow us on Twitter at, oh, yeah. at Crime and Stuff, and you'll see Rebecca and my Twitter handles on tweets there too. Yeah. So that if you want to help support Rebecca and her next 
tweet off with a wannabe PhD or something. You can yeah. find and we're on And Instagram. I wasn't mad at her. I just didn't get I just thought what she was saying was just it was honestly I nothing pisses me off really on Twitter. I don't give a shit. But I felt like the things she brought up were things I wanted to talk about. You know, you know what her things reading and again I read them cold but <sighs> looking at it sitting in front of me, it reminds me of the bullshit you write on a, in an essay question on an English final hoping that the teacher well, won't see through the bullshit. I think I've said this I think I've said this before on here, but I cannot read art criticism because it drives me up the fucking wall and I know some people obviously people do like reading it. I was an art history minor in college and had to read a lot of it and I just it gets to a certain point where you're like Give me a fucking break. And I feel that way sometimes about literary criticism, too. And I know it's just it's just something of me. It's me. Yes. Don't judge me or tell me I should read it or I should do It's like, you know what? I am 52 years old. Now I only read things I want to read. Yeah, there you go. I'll read literary criticism, but it's... It, that doesn't bother me as much. I will read it. A lot of times I read book reviews but and stuff. But it's like anything else I read. If I start reading and it's either boring, poorly written... <sighs> Or, for instance, I book reviews that all they do is tell you what the plot. Oh, the book I hate is. that. Yeah, and that type of thing. I'm not that interested. I and if I were, if this young woman were to write a review of it, the minute I started reading that bullshit, I would have just stopped reading and said, "I." I feel like I think part of it too is because I'm an artist and you're and you're an author. It, I think the fact that I'm an artist, it, the art talk annoys me worse, just because I feel like give me a fucking break. Because as an artist, you know that. Sometimes you are trying to you're trying to convey something with your work, and other times you're not. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you come up with it after the fact when someone asks you what this is about. You've been thinking about it, and you're like, "I think that happens with more obviously more with art than with prose." And I, I don't think poetry. there's a and I, well, I also think that is everything is open to interpretation. Yeah. And I don't know what what Stephen King meant when he wrote that scene, or what he meant to say, or what it represented to him. But and she Although, obviously interpreted right. one way, I interpreted it the other yes. way. Well. I would not and say... And that's art. I don't, I don't want to get into a big big thing when we were winding things up, but <laughs> prose is not as open to interpretation as art, and there are certain tropes in literature and stuff, and it's pretty obvious lots of times when you're doing them, yeah. and the loss of innocence and blah, blah, blah that she's well, talking about. Well, that's a theme that, yeah. That is, that's a theme in his book. It's a theme, it's in, a a theme of, in a lot of his books. But... I don't think the two of you necessarily disagree on what Stephen King was trying to do. I think you're just saying... He could have done it better. It was ham-handed, yes. and he could have yes. done it better, exactly. and she's trying to support it. So it's not yes. like you're seeing different things in his art. You're seeing the That's same true. thing. You just I'm just saying keener, he could have done better. You have a keener eye. She is talking out of her ass. Thank you. And I, I know. know my sister. I know. Well, it's true because one thing that bothers me about literary criticism is when people try to defend stuff that's shit. And that scene. Was, I think he would agree. And he may agree. You I can tell us, Steve. You can tweet <laughs> us. Or, or. But all she does is show defending that. Is she just shows that she's not that well educated? She you know, was defend. She was she was busy that day because yeah. since she had written a thesis, she had to talk to everybody, and everyone was just like, just, most people are just like, who gives a and shit? I only have a bachelor's degree. I've never had to write a fucking thesis about anything, but I've been writing and critiquing writing for more than 30 years, so I'll put my chops up against... I would love to be in a critique office. I'm not saying she has a PhD. She might have written a thesis for her. It might have been a high school thesis. Yeah. 
Anyway, we, we digress. We got so worked anyway, up. So anyway, find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other places. Our website is crimeandstuffonline.com, and you can really find everything you need to know there. Yes. And we have more Including stuff. Including other stuff. Right. And we have a more stuff page that I'm... Always a couple episodes behind on where we put links to a lot of the sources Our we pictures use. and and videos. And so check us out. Yeah, Until thank you time. so much. Thanks. Thanks bye bye. I mean, what? But but mules can be male or female. I thought they had no gender. No, they so have. I'm, yes, I'm being proved wrong. They have gender. They're just sterile. Yes, I'm learning something new. What did we ever do before Wikipedia? We thought mules uh, No, I didn't think that. You did. I know. That's what I'm, Listen, I'm fucking telling you. You're right, for God's sake. I know, Can we let it go? I know. We can't use any of these arguments because we're yelling too loud. Okay. I'm just reading this because a henny. I was What's com- a henny? A henny is the offspring of a female donkey okay, and a male. Okay, say a normal voice and we can use it. No. So um, somewhere in all that, I'll, I'll be able to edit an actual conversation. I don't think so.